Thank you, John, and the team for leading us this morning, the whole team that leads us into the presence of the Lord. And we're here on Easter Sunday. To end religion, we preach redemption. For sins forgiven, He is risen. If Jesus was not resurrected from the dead, then this day is merely another spring day. Perhaps for some, the unofficial beginning of spring. I know if you're like me, you have a number of markers that we have to hit, and it feels like this is one of the last ones now. We have daylight savings time that initiates the coming of spring. We have the start of baseball season. That was a big one for me this week. The blooming of the cherry blossoms. But I think Easter is one of those final markers to indicate the coming of a new season. And so we've decorated in line with that and our mission and vision of being like a greenhouse environment. But if Jesus is not resurrected, then this day is another spring day. Perhaps the freedom to wear white shoes. Perhaps just a nostalgic reason to gather the relatives together. If Jesus was not resurrected from the dead, we'd need to conjure up special and imaginary ways to celebrate and assign them temporary value. Perhaps we could, especially on a day like today, we could paint things bright pastel colors. We could eat lots of food and chocolate and have drinks together. We could pretend that bunnies lay eggs and go on treasure hunts. We could dress up in fuzzy costumes wait a minute, we do all of these things. But without Jesus, it's empty. It's hollow. It's it's like that chocolate bunny you you get in your basket that's all dressed up on the outside, but inside it's hollow. And the chocolate is stale to boot. And ironically, there's one empty thing that we do celebrate today. The tomb that Jesus was laid in on Good Friday. It is empty today. That the reason we celebrate is not chocolate and jelly beans or egg hunts and bunnies or cheesy potatoes and grandma's biscuits. Tomorrow, these will be memories, leftovers, gone altogether. What we truly celebrate today will not fade with tomorrow. In Jesus, we have forgiveness from all our sin. In Jesus, we have been shown great mercy In Jesus, we have a living hope for today. In Jesus, we have confidence in tomorrow and all eternity. In Jesus, we have fulfillment, satisfaction, and even joy. In Jesus, we have true freedom. Because Jesus rose and the tomb is empty, we have life and life to the full. That's what we celebrate. That's the meaning of Easter. All this made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But can we have confidence in this? Or are we left to blindly hope? By faith alone, we believe. By faith, our hope does grow. But we're not left blind. We have the personal and preserved testimonies of men who knew Jesus who walked with him, literally walked with him for years, perhaps traveling 
over a thousand miles on foot with Jesus in a span of three years. They watched him. They watched to see if his life would match the words that he spoke. They watched as he seemed to perform signs and wonders that no one could deny, but they could not easily explain. As he healed everyone who came to him seeking a healing touch. They heard him teach every word, teaching with a wisdom and authority that even the greatest teachers of their day had never seen. And these men still doubted the center of his message, that he was the Son of God, that he had been sent from heaven to rescue sinful man, to redeem them, that he would go to the cross and die in place of the world, to conquer sin and death and ultimately rise again on the third day. The center of his message, after all they had seen and witnessed, they still doubted and disbelieved. So that when that time came, when Jesus was betrayed and arrested and sentenced to death, falsely accused for being a blasphemer, for claiming to be God, the Jewish people, the Jewish religious leaders believed they were doing what was right. Any man to come and claim to be their the one and only God, Yahweh, it was right for him to die, even according to their law. When he was arrested and sentenced and went to the cross, every one of those men, maybe minus one, scattered, left him for fear of their own persecution, for fear of being associated with them and therefore also arrested. Because of their doubt, because of their fear, because they still did not believe the center of his message. So when Jesus, three days later, was not found in the tomb that they knew he had been laid in, they still had great doubt and uncertainty. Even when Jesus appeared before their very eyes, they still disbelieved. Luke records it this way in the end of his gospel, Luke chapter 24, verse 36. While the disciples were still talking about this, Jesus having risen, apparently being seen by a few, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened thinking they'd seen a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do, you, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? It's been a few days famished and so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence now one of the men in the house that day was a man with two names simon called peter he personally had abandoned jesus and maybe no one was closer to jesus and by his side and first to speak and first to defend than peter and many of you know his story but in, in jesus's time of greatest need when he was being falsely accused, Peter stood at a distance and denied that he even knew him, 
Not once, but three times. This same man would once again turn 180 degrees and become one of the most outspoken followers of Jesus and the boldest preachers of the resurrection from the dead that this world has ever known. On Sundays for the past six months, we've been walking through the letter of the Acts of the Apostles, or with its longer title, as we've assigned it, the letter of the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles and early church. And I invite you, if you don't have a church home, to come and join us as we continue that journey in the weeks ahead. But in this journey, we've seen Peter, this very same man who had doubted, who had denied his Lord and Savior and his friend, we see him leading the church, standing up and boldly proclaiming not only Jesus' death, but his resurrection. Here's a sample of one of the sermons from Acts chapter 5, verse 27. When the religious leaders had, had brought in Peter and, and John, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us, this man being Jesus. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. And God has exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these very things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Ultimately, this preaching would cost Peter and many of the disciples their very lives. They were willing to lay down their lives to defend the very thing that they had doubted, to proclaim the very thing that they were so uncertain of that they scattered for fear of even being associated with him. The same men who disbelieved were now willing to die because they would not back down from preaching the resurrection and salvation in Jesus Christ. Peter, willing to endure persecution and even go to his own crucifixion, the history of the church records that he would be crucified and that he would ask to be crucified upside down because he was not worthy of the cross of Christ. And here are some of the very words that Peter penned to the, the greater church toward the end of his life. Listen from 1 Peter chapter 1, our anchor text this morning. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the mean, now, this is the meaning of Easter according to Peter. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, in this you rejoice. Now neither these words nor the declaration that Luke recorded in Acts sound like the, man, sound like the words of a coward, do they? Sound like the words of a man who's still uncertain about who Jesus is. A man who's still wonders if he can 
trust the words that Jesus said, I am the Son of God. I am the one who has come to redeem the world. That there is life in my name. No one comes to the Father except through me, and on and on. These don't sound like the words of a man who was still doubting. Whereas, not too long earlier, he had stood by Jesus and watched him be falsely accused and wouldn't even admit his association to a teenage servant girl who was asking him plainly, are you not one of the disciples? And couldn't you imagine her confusion? As she looked and said, if you are one, how come you're standing here? After all that had taken place, it seems like there's only one reasonable explanation. Simon Peter had seen the risen Jesus face to face. He'd touched him. He'd eaten with him. But above all, he'd been forgiven by him. He'd been restored by not only his friend, but his Lord and Savior. Had he not, would he go to his own death for a lie, for an uncertainty? Or simply to remove the guilt that he may have felt for that denial? You'd need a lot of faith to believe that. So we take his words as true. They remind us of the confidence we have in the reality of the resurrection. And they lead us to respond with rejoicing. As we've begun this morning, we will end this morning. Responding with rejoicing because this day is one to rejoice in. We will celebrate, church, because of the promises that Peter gives us, spoken with the power of the Holy Spirit. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Now, why, why would we need to be born again? Why would we need ren- to be renewed? Why would we need great mercy? Well, if you've never made a mistake, if you've never been wrong, or as a friend of mine once said, I've been wrong before. I thought I'd made a mistake. If you are a little more honest than that, and you know that you've made some errors in judgment, you've been wrong. But really, when you look at the world, you're, you're pretty good. You're better than most. More right than most. Why would you need a Savior? Why would you need the truth? You've effectively saved yourself, proven. But if in fact, and I'm assuming this includes most of us in the room, if in fact you know that your very best efforts still fall short, that the good person you want to be is unattainable, you keep reaching for it day by day, but the loving, patient, generous, kind, wise, and full of integrity person that you want to be, you keep falling short of. That in fact, the person that you don't want to be is the one that happens naturally. The selfish, irritated, worried, afraid, doubting, impatient, angry, greedy, lustful person that you want no part of is the one that keeps showing up. 
We need a Savior. We need great mercy. And if we know that we've turned away from God, that we've doubted Him in His essence or even just in His goodness, if we've denied even knowing Him, maybe with our words like Peter or simply our actions, we've essentially walked the same path. Our story is the same one as Peter's. In fact, we've done what the Bible says everyone has done. And maybe the most concise picture of this given by the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. This is God speaking through his prophet. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, but they're broken cisterns that can hold no water. See, we were created to thrive in a living and loving relationship with God, the source of all life, the source of all that is good, that we too might live good and godly lives. And what Scripture says here, God's own words, is that every one of us has turned from that relationship to the work of our own hands, our own ability, our own intellect, to try to fulfill to live life the way we see it. And the picture is of a well that can hold no water. It simply leaks. It is empty. It is ultimately broken. This is the picture of ultimately what was happening to Peter and what every one of us has done according to the Scriptures. And Peter came to know this better than anyone. He was truly broken. The man who had a good life in mind that he wanted to live, that he was striving for, that in the very next moment completely denied by his actions and words, only to be loved and pursued by Jesus and restored. He knew it. If you trace the, the story of Peter, it was mere hours before his denial of Jesus that he actually drew out a sword in front of a legion of Roman soldiers to fight as a fisherman. If that's not willing to give your life, that wasn't going to go well for Peter, but he was going to go down swinging. Days earlier, he had stood up when Jesus said, I must be killed. He stood up and said, I'm ready. I'm, I'm with you. Bring it on. Even this very man who had maybe one of the more pronounced denials of Jesus recorded in Scripture was also one who stood maybe more boldly than any other. We see that struggle that ultimately, internally, we probably have all lived. The powerful end of the story for Peter is Jesus' love and pursuit. He forgave him, restored him, and declared him to be the leader of the early church. Jesus' love and pursuit of us is seen through Peter as his offer of redemption, forgiveness, great mercy, and his demonstration of love is for everyone. When Jesus was preaching while on earth, he came to a very special feast of the Jews. And for time's sake, we won't dig in. But if you join us on Sundays, this is the kind of stuff I love to dig into. But in John chapter 7, Verse 37, on this great day of the feast where there was a symbolism of water, the source of life, God himself 
bringing life. Jesus stood up on that day and he cried out in the midst of everyone, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Contrast that with the word of Jeremiah spoken by God. That man has turned to his own way and has no life in the work of his own hands. Jesus stands up and says, if you're thirsty, if drinking from that empty well, if thinking that silty, muddy water is satisfying, come to me and drink, and streams of living water, rivers will flow from you. This is his offer to all. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that we should have lived, but turned from God. He fulfilled God's perfect standard. He died the death that everyone deserves to die to pay the penalty we could not pay that we might live the life that we do not deserve to live. That's mercy. Peter becomes willing to give his life to preach the resurrection of Jesus because he knew that Jesus had come and given his life for Peter. Because Jesus has died in our place, we can have newness of life. Not physical, but spiritual. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Forever changed. Forever transformed. A metamorphosis takes place. By the way, you enjoy the butterflies? This is what Peter's saying. He has caused us to be born again, to be renewed, to be transformed to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now for a moment, let's linger on that living hope. To a living hope, alive, present, active. This kind of hope is the natural result of having nothing left to fear. Jesus conquered death. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. Jesus, in rising from the grave, proved that we too have hope in that second life. So if sin and death and all the enemies in the world have no power What is left to fear? Pain? Earthly trials? They are temporary. At most, they are limited to the few years of this life. Ridicule or rejection? Being alone? You've been loved, pursued, and accepted by God himself. And one of the most repeated promises throughout Scripture is, I will never leave you. Insignificance in life? There's a fear. That all of my life's work and effort will ultimately matter to nothing. Jesus proved you were so significant that he came and died for you. There's nothing left to fear. When sin and evil and death have been dealt with, there is nothing left to fear. 
And the only natural result then for those in Christ is a living hope. One of the most incredible things about the resurrection is not just the evidence of God's power over death and power to give life, but it's that Jesus entered into humanity, that God himself entered into a very specific time and place to walk amongst us. That's the depth of his love, to give his life that we might have life. God is not aloof, disinterested, a spectator. He is engaged, active, and participating. The founder of our faith, the greatest teacher, the greatest prophet that we have, came amongst us, gave his life for us, spoke of eternal significance, life after death, and then rose again. The story's not over. Whereas the end of the story of every other major world religion is its greatest teacher and its greatest prophet came and pointed the way to God, spoke of eternal significance and life, died, and stayed dead. Jesus is alive. Jesus came and once again walked amongst his followers. He ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. A living hope. A living hope for those who followed Jesus should be one of the most distinguishing marks of our life. It should be like light in the darkness in the world that we live in. A world that is so filled with despair and depression, with worry and uncertainty, with fear that the whole work of my life will amount to nothing or have no lasting significance. If you have those kinds of doubts or fears or questions, be reminded by Peter, because of the resurrection, we have a living hope. Our God entered into humanity because he loves his physical creation. He loves you. He loves me. He loves people. Our living hope is not only a what, it's a who. And our living hope doesn't only change our todays, it impacts our tomorrows and our forever. So once more, back to 1 Peter. According to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled and unfading, that is secure in heaven for you. You who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Let's camp on that phrase. Imperishable inheritance. An inheritance that is imperishable. Nothing on earth is imperishable. Everything is degrading, deteriorating, wearing out, and hardly secure. Do you need examples, okay? Everything 
perishes, flowers wilt, pets die, silver tarnishes, metal rusts, toys break, or like in my household, washing machines break in the middle of a wash cycle. (laughs) Yesterday, muscles atrophy, hair grays and falls out. Do you need more examples? Okay, when you go to Whole Foods and you buy fresh fruit, it is moldy by the time you get it home. The things you are saving up now to buy are in the garage sale and goodwill boxes next Easter. Everything is defiled. Do you need examples? Okay. Tainted by sin. And it seems that God's greatest gifts to us are what are defiled most, what we abuse most. Food and drink, which I would guess most of us will enjoy today. We have a propensity to worship becoming gluttons and drunkards. Relationships we defile by our own selfishness, pride, bitterness, and anger. So they become broken, estranged, full of tension from marriages to families, friends, communities. The pleasure of sex we defile by lust, adultery, pornography. The ability to create we defile. It should be a picture of the creative God in us, bringing Him glory and honor. We do for ourselves, for money, for fame, for power. Everything perishes. Everything is defiled. Everything fades. Do you need examples? Okay. What was once the best or newest or most innovative fades from prominence seemingly faster than ever before. Did you hear that Apple just announced they've sped up the release of the iPhone 9 for the first time in years? Some of your hearts just fluttered with excitement and despair at the same time. That's not true. I don't have any inside knowledge. You can take a deep breath. Powerful and famous people fade into history if they are remembered at all. Everything fades. And nothing is secure. Do you need examples? Okay. Your home needs to be locked at night. It didn't used to be that way. By the way, it wouldn't hurt to have a security system, a gun in your nightstand, and a hungry Wattweiler. Your retirement savings aren't secure. Your health is not secure. Your kids are not secure. You know that every time you say goodbye to them. Your job is not secure. Your identity is not even secure today. This is the world we live in. Perishing, defiled, fading, insecure. All because mankind has sought to live and trust in their own abilities, the work of their hands, and their own perspectives, denying the source of life, the source of living water. That's the result. It's been that way from the beginning, from the garden to the garden to the garden, and here we are living it out. doesn't matter how much money we spend, how much time and energy we give, how many programs and nonprofits. We create, how many elections we hold, how many books we write, how many medicines we discover, how many doctors we see, how many locks we put on our doors or airbags we put in our cars. Our world's not getting better. 
The best that we can do is slow perishing, cover up defilement, pretend that fading doesn't exist, or paint over it to guard against disaster, but we can't stop any of it. Well, there's a chipper message for Easter. This is our reality. Why do we even have to go there? Because I don't know if we'll truly rejoice if we don't go there. Because what Peter reminds us of is, this, is there's this alternate reality that is running right alongside the one we see every day. And do not miss it. God is powerful, perfect, restoring and sustaining. He has a plan to f- not just to not fix this world, but to recreate it. To make it new again. It's his plan and his promise. And we are waiting for it. I know it sounds crazy. I read it again and when I rightly hear it start when i start to rightly hear it so i'm in my study this morning pouring over praying asking god to take these words that have been written and give me his words for you in this moment and he says ben hear these words again you hear them and i say with, I think, fresh ears. I have a hard time believing this. It sounds too incredible, God. And he says, that's good, because you've got nothing to compare it to yet. Walk by faith. Trust me. Be reminded. You have a living hope You have an imperishable inheritance coming. So we walk by faith. Our hope grows in faith. But we are not left blinded to guess, to perceive, and to answer according to our own wisdom. We look back to Peter. How could Peter be so sure? He is me, he is you. That same doubt, that same, Lord Jesus, I I don't know that I can believe that. It sounds too incredible to my ears. This very same Peter is the one who stands and boldly proclaims it. He saw Jesus risen. And he gave his life to make sure that others heard his story and knew the depth of His forgiveness, the greatness of God's mercy, the promise of a living hope, and the eternal, imperishable inheritance that God has promised for those who love Him. God has done it all. He's shown the great mercy. He's caused us to be born again. He's given us the living hope. He's prepared us the internal inheritance. He will guard and protect us through His power. He promises to reveal all in our final salvation. So in Christ we are saved, we are being saved, and on that day we will finally be saved.
And so what must we do? What must we do today to receive all this? We believe all this. Through faith. Peter says that's all. You haven't seen it yet, so through faith, you believe. You take one, one foot and put it in front of the other. And you see if this God with His promises and this Jesus is trustworthy. He can defend Himself. He doesn't need me. His Word has been written. I simply get to stand and proclaim it as a reminder to you. Thank God these are not my words. Thank God this world is not all there is. We believe in who He is, who He's revealed Himself to be. We trust His promises. And we love Him for all of it. And how do we respond? A big smile on our face with tears streaming down. Do we stand and sing? Do we kneel and pray? Do we give in generosity? Not just in this moment with an opportunity, but as we go and connect with family today and walk through our week in the coming week. Do we live with a generosity and a hope because of promises that we have heard? Maybe all of these, but Peter says there's one thing that his church will do when they hear this. In this, you rejoice. And I don't know how much of that is a description of what will take place or a prescription. Hey church, in this, you will rejoice. You will not rejoice in this world. In this, rejoice. So if you need to receive it as a prescription from Peter today, it's time for you to rejoice. No matter what's happening out there, move it to the periphery right now. What's happening in here is Jesus is alive. You have a living hope. You have nothing left to fear. You have a God who loves you and knows you and is pursuing you so desperately And he can't wait for you to respond. You respond with rejoicing. If you need to receive it as a description, then join in at church. Join in because there's a celebration coming here. This, these moments will be short-lived. May they linger as we move through our day and through our week to be people of rejoicing because we have a God of glory a living hope. He makes everything meaningful, even plastic egg-laying bunnies can have meaning. So let us rejoice, church.